on the block on demand. Without Jerry McNamara, we wouldn't have won 10 games this year. Okay? Not 10. Two seconds and one. It's 10 wins in a row for the Crunch. It's the biggest upset in the Carrier Dome in more than 30 years as the Orange hold off the defending national champions. They beat Clemson. The Bills make me want to shout. McCoy in the backfield, takes the handoff, runs up the middle, breaks a tackle. He's inside the 10, cuts to the left, into the end zone. Buffalo wins. Back to full. Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. Somebody in Vegas told them they were going to win by 20. They look at the positive side of things once in a while instead of the negative all the time. This is On the Block with Brent Axe. Those streets are cold tonight, Wendy. Be careful on your way home, kids. Make sure your tauntaun is in shape. And your lightsabers are ready, just in case. You gotta slice one of those open to stay warm. And you thought they smelled bad on the outside. Welcome! So glad you're here. You're on the block, in case you didn't know that. little radio show here on ESPN Radio Syracuse. You can uh, get in touch with us, get your voice heard today. Oh, we are all about that. Use that First Amendment. Democracy. Yay, democracy. Allows you to call a man sitting in a radio booth on the radio and talk sports with said man. It's a beautiful thing. 437-7644. That's the phone number to do that. You can correspond digitally. Brent Axe Media. Brent Axe Media on Twitter. The text line is 288-0644. If you're listening on the radio, that is spectacular. We appreciate that. We have an app that you should listen on because you can take it wherever you go, except the bathroom. That's kind of gross. Anything else, though? Anything else? Fair game. ESPN app, hit the listen tab, find us, and off you go. Or you can listen on your time, on demand. Just subscribe to ESPN Syracuse and iTunes and Google Play, and you get a daily podcast of this program. And the big interviews that we do on this program, including every Thursday, we check in with the head coach, Jim Beheim. So if you cannot be around later, and we are going to play our interview with Coach Beheim. And if you want to listen to our interview with Coach Beheim today, I would suggest that you you get there early and just hang around because it's not going to last very long. Anyway, that's later, but if you miss it, how dare you, first of all. But if you want to listen on your time, that's what the app is for. That is what the iTunes is for, because we send you those big interviews that we do weekly here on the program. All right, let's get into it, shall we? We've got lots of Syracuse basketball to discuss after their loss to Wake Forest last night. Interesting twist of events going into Saturday's game against Notre Dame. As the weather takes a turn for the worse here in Syracuse and central New York, up and down the East Coast, the bomb cyclone Saturday, the temperatures may not get above zero, and people are going to have to, you know, I said it a minute ago, ride your tauntauns to the Carrier Dome to see Syracuse play Notre Dame, and they're going to play a Notre Dame team that is not only down Bonzi Colson, they are down now Matt Farrell. He suffered an ankle injury last night. 
Notre Dame still blew out NC State. So the question going into that game is, well, how much better is Syracuse than NC State? And after a loss to Wake Forest last night, well, that begins the discussion. Hot takes as usual to come. Plus, of all people, the governor, Governor Andrew Cuomo of the fine state of New York, revealed that the Syracuse Chiefs are going to change their name to the Syracuse Mets. As we know, the Mets were bought, uh, the Mets bought the Chiefs, and the Chiefs are no longer community-owned, and that all has to be approved and, and all that. But under new management will be the sign on the door, and there could be a very interesting situation that the, let's see, the Chiefs will be owned by the Mets this year, but will still be an affiliate of the Washington Nationals and then officially become an affiliate of the Mets in 2019. And the governor at a state of the state address said that they're going to change their name to the Mets, which seemed to catch everybody off guard. Or those that were in the know on said name change were like, dude, what did you just do? Stick to politics, Cuomo. So we'll get to that a little later in the show. But I do want to start, of course, with Syracuse basketball. And what we saw last night was a road loss. It's not easy to win on the road in the ACC. We saw a team, one team that had its best player that did not play well, Tyus Battle, and another player that was out of the game for most of the game for Wake Forest, and the Deacons found a way around that. We saw a pretty ugly game for a while that found some offense in the second half. Syracuse, I think, did what it needed to do to win in a lot of scenarios, but came up just short on the rebounding end, which they have dominated throughout the year. Didn't make three or four defensive plays that they had to make, namely covering the corner. Wake Forest took advantage of that, hit some three-pointers in the second half to either get back a lead or hold a lead down the stretch. It was kind of... The best way I can describe last night's game was everything came up just that short. Because despite the fact that Tyus Battle did not play well offensively and O'Shea Brissett did not play well offensively, I mean, he was the second-leading scorer on the team, but you watched the game. He didn't shoot well. Just didn't have it, which is going to happen. But this is what you have to do in these road games in the ACC. You just kind of have to scrap and claw and figure out a way to get it done. You look up at the end of the day... And it's, you know, like last night, 73-67. You're like, hey, great. We pulled that win out of our you-know-whats. Let's just get out of here. But it went the other way last night. A few plays here, a few plays there. And it just shows how Syracuse kind of straddles this line. It needs certain things to go their way to ensure victory. Now, Syracuse, as we have said a lot this week, is a team that is willing to play. And dirty is not the right way. You know, but do the dirty stuff, do the non-sexy stuff, rebound, defense, free throws, scrap, get some floor burns. This team knows and has embraced that, okay? You still need to score in the ACC. You need to score on the road in the ACC to win. So when two of your three, three amigos, your three players who account for 70% of your offense are off just a hair, well... Look what happened last night. A team that I don't think Wake Forest is going to make the tournament. If they do, they'll be a bubble team. They kind of put themselves in a hole, barring some kind of unbelievable stretch run through the ACC. And I didn't see a team 
last night that that fits that description. But it's a tough league if you can win some games. Find yourself somewhere around that 8-9 win, 10 win scenario, maybe you get in. But I was not overwhelmed by Wake Forest last night. So that's one of those kind of have-to-grab-it road wins. But we all know in this league, and look around the league, Miami lost, Florida State beat North Carolina. Those are two good teams, mind you. But you're going to lose games like Syracuse lost last night. Because you can't script this out. And you can't say, in order to win, you check all these boxes, and they're going to be their game in and game out. But it just goes to show you that a lot of teams that I think are coming up on Syracuse's schedule are paying attention to this. And because Syracuse doesn't go very deep, it makes it easier on them to say, well, we can do what fill-in-the-blank did to give Syracuse a hard time. One of those things was the struggles of Tyus Battle last night, which were a lot more self-inflicted than they were anything that Wake Forest did. He missed some open shots. He stepped on the baseline late in the game, stepped out of bounds. He missed the front end of a one-and-one free throw, which Tyus Battle is one of your best free throw shooters. That was on Tyus Battle. He just didn't have a good night. It happens. Here's Jim Beheim on battle struggles last night. No, not really. He had a good look at the end. He made a key one that I thought he was going to get going, and then he got another wide-open one right there, and I thought that uh, that was a big big shot. But you know, he, he just didn't shoot it as well as he is capable. And that, it's really that simple. You weigh how many good games Tyus Battle's going to have, where he does come through in the second half. And one thing that is certainly at least noteworthy at this point, is that he doesn't come out of the gate strong. It takes Tyus Battle time to warm up. It's like starting your car when it's five degrees out. You got to start that thing, keep it running for about five, ten minutes before you want to get in it and drive it, which I believe is now illegal in some places. So, Not that we're endorsing such a practice, but you think I'm getting in that car after it's been minus five all night and just driving away in it. You're out of your mind. Sorry to all you environmentalists out there. How dare you? Global warming. Anyway. So Tyus had that kind of off game. As good as Frank Howard was offensively, and he has emerged as a terrific three-point threat, he is this team's best three-point threat at this point. And you look at the numbers and what the threes that he has hit, not only last night, he was five of seven last night. In the last five games, he's been terrific. But he countered that with six turnovers. Now, I think the criticisms that are out there of Frank Howard are ridiculous. I think people get this narrative stuck in their head and they forget to do something that's important for all of us to do. And that is to evolve. That is to come back and reevaluate. I think a lot of people have just made their decision about Frank Howard and they have not, what's the phrase I'm looking for, paid attention this year to see he's a much better player. He's a smarter player. He, for every mistake he makes, it's almost like he has two productive positive plays to make up for that. And Syracuse is in no way, shape, or form competitive in that game last night without Frank Howard. But, you know, certain people think a certain way and want to focus on the six turnovers versus the 23 points. Now, that being said, the turnovers mattered. It was not the 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 count of turnovers. It was they, they came in big spots. And like I said, in a tight game like that where Syracuse doesn't have a lot of room for error, two or three more turnovers than you should commit adds up. So you got to note that, but 
he has been this team's most consistent player. Night in and night out, Frank Howard is doing what he needs to do. I mentioned O'Shea. He just didn't have it on the offensive end last night. I wrote this in my column, my recap on Syracuse.com, which enabled me to get a Paula Abdul reference in to the recap because you know that's just one of my rules in life. Anytime I can get a Paula Abdul, DJ, what is it, DJ Scat Cat, opposites attract, two steps forward, I'll take two steps back. But that's what he was last night. It's like, I made two good plays, I made two bad plays. I made two good plays, I made two bad plays. I made a three-pointer. Tied the game at 59, took a really bad three-pointer here. I missed two free throws here, but I made these free throws here. It, it just went back and forth. It was interesting to see what happened beyond that, in that for the first time really all year, we didn't see a lot of Merrick Doljai in situations you would think you would see Merrick Doljai. Matthew Moyer, who got pulled out of the game early for daring to shoot the basketball, in a spot that Jim Beheim did not want him to shoot the basketball because he's become that guy now. There's always one guy that gets the quick hook. You make a mistake, you gone. But it wasn't permanently last night. I thought we <laughs> we would get a kill from young Matthew Moyer in that game last night, but he played 31 minutes and he grabbed eight rebounds. And that's where his offense is going to come from. They're not going to run plays for Matthew Moyer. He's not going to, he frankly shouldn't take that shot. He's going to get his offense right around the basket, rebounds. But I think, you know, look, you put Matthew Moyer on the floor for 31 minutes, that's all you can really ask him to do. Pascal Chukwu was almost, it's kind of the Goldilocks theory. Against Eastern Michigan, he was red hot, career game. Against Virginia Tech, he was too cold. Last night, it was just right. He didn't get as many rebounds as you would think somebody that he would get, but just because you're seven foot two doesn't mean you're automatically going to get ten rebounds every night. The biggest thing with Pascal is, folks, this guy has in and again, this is why you got to watch, pay attention, and evolve opinions. Because if you had asked me about Pascal shooting free throws a month ago, I would have cringed. But now he's one of their aces on the free throw line, knock on wood. He's worked on it. His technique is there. He puts a lot of, of effort and time. And But the key word is confidence. Time pays off there. We heard the story earlier this week. Who was it, Seth? Was it Adrian Autry or Alan Griffin, one of the assistant coaches? I forget. But they said that, I mean, they don't let him leave the floor at practice unless he's made a certain amount. He shoots 100 per game, and he is really putting some work into it. And it's not just one of these you know, fun practice discussions we hear. He's going to get to the free throw line. He needs to work on it because he's going to have anywhere, I don't know, I'll look at the averages and the numbers. I don't have them right in front of me right now, but it's it's going to be significant, especially when he plays 37 minutes like he did last night. And while we're on that, posi- that uh, position and talking about the middle, so Barama plays last night and plays for three minutes. And the box score doesn't look significant in those three minutes, but it's significant because this means he will not redshirt. He's going to play. He's healthy enough. We just got to spot him in there and get some time. It's Jim Beheim last night on Barama. And that, to me, is it's almost more of a mental thing. You've just got to know that you have eight players right now. Because if he redshirts and you know you only have 
seven scholarship players that can play in this game. Just the fact that, you know, I know I've got things in the cupboard that I don't always use, but when I've got to use them, it's nice to know they're there. It's like, oh, yes, here's that baking powder that I need to make these brownies that I haven't in a month. Right? Like, if I didn't have it in the cupboard, it's okay. I, I would I would get by. But it's it's nice to know it's there. And that's Barama right now. He can play at his own pace. Pascal is playing well enough to hold down the fort. But inevitably, they're going to need Barama. Now, given his knee situation, it's not going to be for 15, 20 minutes. But it's going to be for enough patches of time where he'll have to come in and make a contribution. So that's kind of the player-by-player look at last night. I want to get into this game a little bit more. Big picture and peek ahead to Notre Dame. Because Notre Dame in some ways has become an opportunity for the Orange. And we are very early in ACC play and I'm not going to get into any declarations right now. But I think when we look back, Wake Forest will turn into one of those probably should have had that kind of games. And you don't want those to pile up. And Syracuse is the the type of blue-collar team that will lose games like this, but also has to handle business against teams that they can. And I think ultimately you look back and you say, that was one of those games. That also qualifies Syracuse as a team no one wants to play for a number of reasons, and we will discuss that coming back. 437-7644 is the phone number. We've got Jim Beheim later in the show. We're going to hear from you. We've got plenty to do back after this. This is On the Block with Brent Axe. Welcome back. You're on the block. ESPN Radio. Oh, we're doing the thing. Stay warm out there, kids. It's only getting, uh, oh, oh, baby. Uh, Let me see. I got my little weather thing in studio. Uh, 19 degrees currently. And we're only getting colder in the polar vortex cyclone bomb thing a majigger is coming in. So uh, just hang on tight. Just because here's how bad it is. And I know it's winter and it's cold here. I get it. I, I live here. You do too. But when you look at the forecast and it says a high of 35, you're like, yes, yes. Now we're now. We know winter has arrived. I don't watch Game of Thrones, but I saw today that the next season of Game of Thrones is not till 2019. Boy, that better be good. That better be really good, right? Because you got to wait another year for that show. I mean, I don't watch Game of Thrones. I heard it's amazing, but how can it take that long? To make that, don't they know what's happening? Like, don't they have books and comic books and like they they know how the the whole thing plays out? Anyway, I'm rambling now. Let's do some hot takes. We've got a hot one for you. Oh, you're hot. Why, thank you. So are you. And I'm not afraid to cry. So hot. Man, it's hot. How hot is it? It's so hot, I poured McDonald's coffee in my lap to cool off. (laughs) It's time for Hot Takes on the Block. All right, so I brought this up a few minutes ago. Listen, 
we all have egos to a certain extent, and you know, there are people in sports that have certain personalities, right? And that's what makes it great. It'd be boring if everybody was the same and it was all vanilla and, you know, everybody gave you the same one game at a time answers. And it's, you know, there are people that ha- just have these certain personalities that liven things up. You know, Jim Beheim fits in that category. Greg Popovich fits in that category. Bill Belichick, right? On the other end of the spectrum, you have the Mike Hopkins of the world and the Pete Carrolls of the world and Steve Kerr. And it's like, it's just this melting pot of different personalities. And that's great. But referees cannot be these types of people. I mean, it's one thing when Ed Hockley shows up and he's got the guns and he becomes famous for that. And they're humans. But did you see what Teddy TV pulled last night? You know, through the years, you know, there's a reason you know the name Tim Higgins, right? And there's a reason you know certain officials that have come through because they kind of become part of this instead of just showing up and doing your job like they need to. They, Like I said, they're, they're humans. They have egos. They're on TV all the time and they make a certain amount of money and you get to a certain point and they think people are there to see them. And Teddy TV is one of them, Ted Valentine. So Joel Berry tried to discuss a call. It was more of a non-call last night. It's about seven minutes to go. Uh, North Carolina, Florida State, Tar Heels are down by three. Berry attempts to grab an outlet pass. Goes over his head, right? Now, Joel Berry is a senior. This is not some freshman in his you know first ACC game. He is a senior. He is somebody that has been around and deserves the respect of an official if he is respectfully being asked by a player or a coach to tell you what's up with that, right? There's a certain rapport that's there. So he had scored 28 points, held by Terrence Mann as they run up the court. So Barry grabs the ball from out of bounds, goes up to Ted Valentine, Teddy TV. And what does Teddy TV do? He turns his back on him. Barry eventually puts the ball down, walks away. Tar Heels lost last night, by the way. 81-80, to 80, close game there. Now, Ted Valentine has worked 28 NCAA tournaments, 10 Final Fours, four national championship games. You don't reach, no matter what I say or anybody says about Teddy TV or TV Teddy, whatever you want to call him, you've got to be pretty good at what you do. Officials are graded, they are ranked, and, you know, get to a certain That is for a reason. But you don't do that. You don't just turn your back on a player like that. You are a referee. You have to put out a certain amount of authority on the court as the guy that's out there enforcing the rules. But you don't do that to a senior basketball player. If he's like ranting and raving and there's spit coming out of his mouth and a player is just, or a coach for that matter, is out of his mind, then yeah, walk away and, and prevent the situation there. But that, and Jay Billis I saw was tweeting about this last night, that's hot. Never underestimate people's egos, particularly in sports, but that is just, that is bogus. And there's a reason that Ted Valentine has the reputation that he does. And you can't help it. He just refed uh, the Syracuse-Virginia Tech game the other night. That there are four or five times when he'll go watch a replay or do something, and you just can't help but think someone knows they're on camera right now, right? Speaking of people on camera that will be back on the sideline soon, John Gruden was on with Golick and Wingo here on ESPN Radio yesterday and did admit that, quote, there's a good chance he'll be the next head coach of the Raiders and that he has had talks with Mark Davis 
about the job. Quote, they're still, I believe, going through the interview process. When he knows, I think we'll all know. So here's the thing with with Gruden. We all know he's going to coach that team. I think it's a brilliant move. Because if I'm the Raiders and I just go get the next up-and-coming assistant or the next guy in line, well, that's Jack Del Rio. You fired that guy. Gruden is somebody who's beloved in Raider Nation, Chucky, right? He's had success there. Mark Davis is Al Davis's son, obviously. There's there's a connection there. They work, work well together. If you can bring in a coach from the moment he walks in as beloved, you've got to do it. Think how hard it is for coaches to earn that kind of rapport. Okay, Sean McDermott comes in and takes your Buffalo Bills to the postseason. The Bills are in the playoffs, in case you didn't know that. Sunday, 1 o'clock, Jacksonville. You hear it right here on ESPN Radio, by the way. And over on K-Rock. The home for the Buffalo Bills here in central New York, our friends at K-Rock. But back to the Raiders. Think how a coach, and winning, of course, cures all, but he's coming in right from the get-go. Fans love him. You've got to sell seats in Oakland in a year. You're going to move after this. They'll do that. You have to go into Las Vegas with some pop. Now, uh, the we got to check up with our, our good friend Dan Duva soon because the Vegas Golden Knights are killing it. They're one of the best home teams in the National Hockey League. They are fun to watch. They're good. They could win the Stanley Cup. They're that good. Certainly a playoff team. The town has embraced them. So that's great. You put a professional sports team in a town that's been starving for one, you're going to get a certain response. You put an NFL team in Las Vegas, people are going to show up and watch this thing. But because it's the Raiders, there's a regional appeal there. But you still need some pop. You still need something to attract the buzz. And I don't think Derek Carr quite fits that. John Gruden, there's just love him or hate him. There is a certain draw to Gruden. Now, how ESPN has handled this has been interesting, and I have to applaud them for this. I will not get electric shocks under the desk from Bristol for this. I've always found it interesting when there are ESPN employees that get jobs elsewhere, and it's not ESPN that's breaking the story, right? You've heard about coaches that come back, and it's other outlets that are breaking the story. It's like, isn't he like down the hall right now? Schefter broke it. He goes on Golik and Wingo, didn't dodge, didn't go around it, did all he could to basically say, yeah, I'm taking the job. Now, here's where this gets interesting, and I brought this up a little earlier in the week. If I am the Kansas City Chiefs, and I am about to play John Gruden and the Oakland Raiders twice a year, you know what? I can't make ESPN change who's calling my playoff game, but I can deny him access. I can say, I'm sorry. You are not in this production meeting. You are not getting the normal access that an analyst gets because you're about to use that against me next year. And you can always watch film, and, and you know, it's 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 not a trade secret here. It's football. But if I'm Andy Reid, I'm, uh-uh. You can call the game. You can go up in that booth, and you can watch what happens. But you are not getting the normal production meetings and all the pre-interview stuff that coaches usually get. That's hot. We'll see if that's the case. But if I'm Kansas City, maybe you don't air that publicly because it just sounds like sour grapes. Go out there and beat Tennessee no matter what. Behind the scenes, though, I'm saying, no, sorry. Your press credential is good for one place in that booth when the red light's on, and that's it. Speaking of the NFL, both Josh Rosen and Sam Darnold 
have declared for the NFL draft. Not a surprise in any way. It was interesting how they both declared last night pretty much at the same time. Darnold put out an Instagram video, and Josh Rosen made it official. They had until January 15th to do so. You have to declare by January 15th, but both Darnold and Rosen, UCLA, USC, big rivalry, of course, declare they're in. So now what we have is another great quarterback debate. We had Manning and Ryan Leaf, and boy, how'd that turn out. We had Drew Bledsoe and Rick Meyer. We had, you know, Jameis Winston, Marcus Mariota recently. And I don't think there's been a winner declared in that one. They both had their highs and their lows. One's in the playoffs, one isn't. But, you know, I think Jameis Winston's pretty set going forward in Tampa Bay. And as much as Marcus Mariota can frustrate you at, at times, they're happy with him there. It seems every few years this ends up being the case, and this is undoubtedly going to be the case because you got Cleveland at one and you've got the New York Giants at two. Now, Cleveland has a truckload of draft picks, and they need a quarterback. They also have the fourth overall pick. They've got a new general manager, John Dorsey, who comes from Kansas City, very respected, but, I mean, it's Cleveland. It's where smart football people go to die. How is this going to pan out? Because it's usually one team wins and one team loses. And given the history of those two organizations, you would think that the Giants will make the smart pick and the Browns won't. Or could it be a rare case where they both win? Because this quarterback draft with Darnold and Rosen, we know. Josh Allen is in. Lamar Jackson should be in. Baker Mayfield is in. It's a lot of really good not just college quarterbacks, but potential NFL. The reason that this quarterback draft is so celebrated and people are so excited about it is it's not because they were great college quarterbacks. It's because they have the pro-style look. They have the skill set that people look at and say, those are NFL quarterbacks. Darnold had 4,143 yards through just as many touchdowns and three more interceptions. Then Rosen. Rosen had 3,754 yards, 26 touchdowns, 10 interceptions. They went 6-7. and seven. Darnold went 11-3. and three. Josh Allen, for Wyoming, I mean, they made a bowl game. They were decent, but a lot of times, I watched about three or four Wyoming games this year, and I said, okay, I see it. With Josh Allen, it's Carson Wentz. So Allen's the wild card. It's one of those three that's going to go number one, then who goes two, and then, you know, whoever is the third guy isn't going to last much longer than that. So what I'm wondering is, selfishly as a Buffalo Bills fan, who do you play let's make a deal with? Because the Bills have two first-round picks and two second-round picks. Cleveland is not going to stay at one and four. They're going to make a trade. And these quarterbacks are worth a big trade. We saw the, the the trade a couple years ago for Jared Goff. That's hot. When they moved the number one overall pick. I, that could happen again this year. As a matter of fact, I'd almost predict that's going to happen this year. And a final note here in Hot Takes, NFL ratings are down. Now, they were up and down throughout the season, but now that an entire regular season has been played, and we'll see how the playoff ratings will be. And playoff ratings are always good because it's, it's nitty-gritty time. It's playoff time. People watch the NFL playoffs. The ratings will be fine. The Super Bowl will be the most watched television show of the year and all this talk about anthem protests and all these things, and the NFL is going to come crumbling down. I mean, stop it. But 
Here's the numbers. NFL television ratings fell 9.7% during the regular season, according to Nielsen. A typical game was watched by 1.6 million fewer people this year as compared to last year. Now, again, these are mammoth television numbers. It was 14.9 million versus 16.5 million. And the NFL has reached these stratospheric viewing numbers. So the fact that they're down, if I'm the NFL, I'm not happy about that, but it's still an average of 14.9 million people. That's a lot. The drop comes after the NFL. I hope the stem is Darren Ravel writes here, an 8% rating slide from last season by experimenting with commercials that were shorter. And did you see the split screen commercials that they did this year? You had a presidential election last year. You had the politics stuff this year with anthem protests. Thursday night football was a delusion of the product, you know, for the most part. Thursday night football was awful. So you're getting more football. It used to be football was appointment viewing. Sunday night football, Monday night football, that's it. But then the Thursday night game slide in there and it's it's almost too much. You can stream football now. The NFL red zone is an option and I've I've heard both arguments of this. You can't tell me the red zone is not taking a significant amount of viewers away from CBS and Fox and DirecTV for that matter. The red zone's on DirecTV as well, but how could it not? The red zone is the greatest invention ever. I think I fit the description of most football fans today. What you do is, like, we live in Syracuse, right? And while there are other football fans of other teams, if you're a fan of the, you know, the, the air quotes local teams, the Bills, Giants, and Jets, you watch your team at 1 o'clock, and then you watch the red zone. Or you watch the red zone at 1 o'clock, then watch your team at 4 o'clock, Right. I think that's what most people do. And if your game gets out of hand, boom, you're going to the red zone. The red zone ratings are a little different because it's cable and it's satellite and they're not as, they're not measured equally like it is for the broadcast networks. But how could it not affect things? So, yeah, the ratings are down, but people are still consuming football. They're still, they're just watching it in a different way. And by the way, despite the drop in ratings for all these people who say the NFL is, is falling off this mighty cliff, 20 of the top 30 television shows in 2017 were football games, NFL football games. So I would hold off on the whole, you know, you didn't take a knee and you upset me, therefore, you know, I'm not watching and the NFL is going to fall off a cliff. Not quite yet. Not quite yet. On that note, we'll take a break. We're going to talk some Syracuse basketball next hour, including our weekly chat with the head coach, Jim Beheim coming up. Don't miss it. It's all coming up. Stay right there. Thank you. Bye-bye.